I'm John Congdon. Hey, everybody. I'm John Congdon. What's going on? How are you? I'm John Congdon. I'm John Congdon. I'm Tom Rideout. You've been listening to PHP John Congdon. You're listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast, Episode 12, recorded Thursday, May 26th, 2016. Today we talk about our latest Laravel meetup. Do you prefer being a jack-of-all-trades or specialized? Are certifications worth it? And dealing with sysops and devops. Let's get started. Hey, Eric. Hi, Thomas. How's hey. it going? Hey, John. Hey, guys. Guess what? <laughs> what? What? We're at a dozen podcasts today. Really? This, this makes one dozen. Well, okay. If we were donuts, we'd be a box of donuts. You're a box of donuts. Dozens. <laughs> <laughs> he just had to get that out. Like, he didn't even finish ex- exhaling his vaping. He just had to get, you're a box of donuts. <laughs> I don't think, can you actually get a dozen donuts? Isn't it normally a baker's dozen, so you get 13 anyway? You just screwed that you up all together. I, I, I thought that was like an East Coast thing. I've never gotten a baker's dozen out here on the West Coast. Oh, really? I don't yeah. I just order a baker's dozen. Just say, I'd like a baker's dozen, and they give you 13. Really? It's like code? You have to say it? Then you get well, it for free. Dozen if, means if 12. It. Well, a baker dozen is 13. <laughs> if, if I went and asked for four donuts, and they gave me five, I'd be curious. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a donut dozen. <laughs> it's a baker's dozen. No, a donut. You ask for dozen, a donut's you ask for dozen, dozen is, donuts, and the baker gives you a baker's dozen. No, no, a donut's dozen is when you order four and get a fifth one for free. Hey, look, we're not talking PHP finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're worn out from last night. Last night's meetup. Yeah, yeah whose idea was it to have the record Thursday night? Uh, Terrible idea. That would be. John. I did bring up recording last night after the meetup. I thought it'd be a good idea. That's the worst idea. The only thing worse than recording on Thursday is the night of the damn meetup. So last night, Laravel meetup. Excellent. What do you guys think? Excellent Laravel meetup. It was. A, it was good. I felt good up there. I gave my little talk. Felt good. Felt knowledged. You did a good. You did a great job. Yeah. All the Diego Dev employees were in attendance. <laughs> we don't have employees, so they weren't there. Yeah, we, we can't let any of our contractors go because we can't afford the dip in attendance at the meetups. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, we're just we're paying them to teach them about Laravel. <laughs> this is true. We had a uh, special guest speaker at uh, this meetup. Yes, she showed up. I was I was curious if she was going to actually show up. She's Spanky very head. yeah, very nice. She's very fun. Yeah, and showed yeah. Up, showed up to our little meeting before the meeting. She did come to pregame. Yes, yes. <clears throat> so it was very cool. It was nice to nice to interact with. Uh, surprisingly pleasant. Yeah, you know I'm uh, I'm <laughs> Jesus, dude. You can make me sound bad now. <laughs> Uh, I was I was surprised. Um, you know, I, I don't use Twitter a whole lot, so whenever someone retweets me, I get an email, like a single email, saying you've been retweeted, um, and you guys had posted the picture of our pregame that she was in, and she retweeted that, and then a hundred people retweeted hers, <laughs> her tweet. <laughs> so she, she was in she was in pregame. 
She wasn't in the uh, that picture. No, no. The the one that you she, might be thinking of. I posted. I posted her doing her talk. That one got that one got a lot of hits on it. One of them did because I woke up with hundreds of emails, where, <laughs> whereas I normally have zero. <laughs> she is very influential in the community. She is, yeah, rightly so. A lot of the people we had at pregame with us were starstruck. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I was just staring. It got awkward after a while. I, I was saying, I think Mister Rideout was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> She has some some pretty fantastic hair too. I gotta say, I, I love I love the uh, two foot tall uh, mohawk, pink mohawk. <laughs> so we want to thank fun. her for coming out. Absolutely, great, huge thanks. I know she's uh, probably not going to listen to our podcast. She has much better things to do with her time. But oh yeah, we're yeah. we're safe. Yeah, but thank you. <clears throat> Uh, we also you you gave a presentation. She gave a presentation on uh, auth and policy in Laravel stuff. That was very very informative. Very it, it was yeah super informative. It actually inspired me to uh, talk to one of our developers on one of the projects we were working on. Um, she kind of really hit a chord with me when she started talking about policies, and it, it's funny because when you work so much in a framework. You get accustomed to doing things a certain way, and you forget about some of these other features that are out there. Uh, and policies was one of them. It's like I completely forget about policies, and, and we have a developer on our team who built a very large website that takes a heavy use of policies. And I just never, I never think, I never think about it. And there, there are a couple features within Laravel where. I'll go back through and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. Laravel does that. I don't, I don't have to. I'm trying to think of ways to tackle a problem, and it's already been tackled. Mm-hmm. And then you gave a presentation for us. You gave a. Uh, I can't even remember what it was about. God. <laughs> Did I? Well, you you were sleeping most. Of I the might, time, yeah, so. I might have slept through that one. <laughs> and we talked about the Laravel Valet service. Right, right. That's why, because I don't have a Mac. Oh, it's not a service either, but yeah, I, I got to give John credit. John called me out after the after the meetup. He's like, "Do you realize you told him you were pretty close to actually using this?" I'm like, "No, I feel like I am." And John's like, "No, you're not." And I thought about it. I thought about it more. I'm like, "Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. you know uh, what? You're right. I'm really not. No, I'm not going to use this." As you were saying it, I'm, I just couldn't believe. I'm like. I was so lost for words. <laughs> I, thought, I felt like... But, see, I have found myself using um, Artisan Serve and Grok and all these tools separately uh, more and more. Uh, especially for things like, you know, again, this uh, application I was building that was taking advantage of the Twilio API and I needed it to talk to the Twilio API. just was just as easy to run it on my local machine. Um, so I'm like, I'm kind of like using the tools, but, but yeah, I, I don't think I would install valet yet on my system because I'm still kind of freaked out about the fact that it required root permission and installs some services that are starting up every time my system starts up. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm not there yet. So um, when you were in, using Ngrok, you were using it locally, not through a VM. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I've been using Ingrock for a while. Jose actually introduced me to Ingrock, and uh, we used it. I used it when I worked with him a little bit. Gotcha. Uh, so Ingrock and yeah. So I I've, I used the, the the only thing I miss out by doing the built-in PHP server P, or artisan serve and all that. The the one nice feature you miss out on is the dynamic linking of a directory. So you can spin up these projects. That's something that Valet brings to the table. That's pretty nice. Is yeah. you you have this directory defined as your a dynamically linked directory, and then every time you spin up a project within that directory, all your development you know, your development URL and everything is already set up. There's there's nothing else to add. So that that was very interesting. But you're you're stuck to Everything being local, you have your one version of PHP, your whatever MySQL you're using, where if you have lots of different projects you're working on, all those things right. may be different, which exactly. is where virtual machines come come into play. Yeah, it's it's nice to really be able to logically separate out your work sometimes. Yeah. So I was actually trying to use Ngrok today on a different project, but I, obviously it's Mac only, so I couldn't get it running on my virtual machine, and that's where all the code was at. Ingrock is it Mac only? Yeah, that's Linux. Well, I, I, oh yeah, there was a Linux client. I couldn't get it running, but I think I'm also running an older version of an operating system. That yeah. that might be. Yeah, it kept telling me I couldn't execute the binary file. Uh, I wonder if you m- might be missing a dependency. Now, were you doing this on a VM? Yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering how that worked. I, I imagine it would work, work the same way because all it's doing is building a tunnel out. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll have to take a look at that. Was it a vagrant box or? Yes, it was. I was pretty sure that in Grok was just a an SSH script. It wasn't even that complicated. It, it's not. And actually, there was a way to you can actually tunnel to a remote server. So I could run it on my Mac and have it tunnel into the VM. I just once I got started, I realized this code base has a lot more the issues. So. I'd have to go set up whatever that dynamic host was so that it would resolve, and I just kind of gave up on it. It wasn't critical. I've gotten so accustomed to using Vagrant, it doesn't even feel that much like a chore anymore to, mm. to do things with Vagrant. So yeah. I do like having having that separated off. I, there's no reason I want to run my SQL on my local host with a bunch of test databases in it. Yes, but... The setting of vagrant boxes often gets into like system operations. Or, so, as developers, do you prefer being a full-out PHP developer, and that would be all you customize or not customize all you do, or do you like being kind of a full-stack developer where you understand the server level, the setup, and and everything there? Well, I I started off as a system admin. Um, as did I. You know, so you, you and I, Thomas, we're, we're we're admins first, huh? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I've sort of been at the bottom of the stack first, and then worked my way up to programming, all the way to uh, the the glass ceiling that is CSS. I I hit that ceiling and decided I never wanted to work in web development ever again. <laughs> so you didn't break through it? No, no. I <laughs> ran face first into it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's funny you you consider working as ops and you work your way up to a programmer. I mean, is that really how you see it? Well, up the stack. I mean, if you look at the OSI model, yeah, it's you're working your way up the model. Oh, 
I see what you're saying. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's you know because I I did very low level system administration stuff, and uh, the funny thing is now I'm coming all the way back around. Uh, the next meetup in in the North County SDPHP meetup is going to be about uh, running a web server off of PHP that listens on ports and bootstraps a single time and executes multiple, multiple times um, okay. using React framework and stuff like that. So getting, you know, I'm actually getting back into operations level type development at this point. So I will say I, I worked, I, I've mentioned before, I worked for a very large company. And when I worked for that company, I always did ops. One of the things you notice that every everybody who's ops does some level of coding. It's just not their full-time gig. Yeah. And the thing that always blew my mind was that we had dedicated developers who that's all they ever did were was development. And it would actually absolutely blow my mind of how little understanding they had of infrastructure, how little understanding of how a web server worked and, and what was required to serve up the page. They really didn't know. And it just it just surprised me. So I, I feel like I'm I'm a much better and well rounded developer because of my ops experience and because I'm full stack. I prefer doing development. I enjoy development. That's where my passion is. But I never want to be I, I never want to be so far removed like the developers I had known in the past where if if I have code executing on something, I really want to have an understanding of how that's working. Mm-hmm. Because how do I know if I'm taking advantage of every, everything there is to take advantage of? What about you, John? Same way. Jack of all trades. You know, know a little bit of everything. Uh, I talked to junior developers that they got started in programming. And that's, they know how to code, but they don't know how DNS works or what ports mean on a on a server. Not yeah, knowing, you know, not knowing a virtual machine is, and we 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 encountered an actual operations issue once when we were uh, we were co working at Pizza Port. Yeah, and we could <laughs> we could connect we could connect to their Wi Fi, but then it would disconnect and it wouldn't tell us why. And one of us could stay on the Wi Fi, but the other ones couldn't. And uh, we realized that it was an issue with. Uh, running out of IPs to lease. DHCP. Yep. Yeah, and so as soon as we as soon as we figured out what subnet the Wi-Fi was on, we just statically assigned ourselves IPs outside of its normal range, and, and, and just hope that it doesn't collide. Yeah, and it worked. It worked just fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah operations exactly. operations can really save the day if you just have a little bit of experience behind you. Mm-hmm. So one thing different. One thing I've noticed different. Leave between operations and coding are certifications. Certifications seem to have a lot more significance for operations. Yeah. I mean, there are certs out there for coding and for PHP, and I, I'm actually, I've been interested in following through on some of them because I think they're worth the while. I mean, I think they're worth getting, but I don't think they're I don't think they really add any value to me as a developer. See, that's where we kind of disagree on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've i always looked at them. They're great if you... I think they're great if you need a job and you want 
something behind you to, to say, hey, look, I've done this, so I've got some sort of skill set. Yeah, sort of proof of competency thing. Yeah, but there's very few jobs that even know what the certifications are. This is very true. The ones that require it drive me crazy. It's like, why are you requiring it? <laughs> In software development, you're far better off having a public GitHub page with a lot of stuff. Not even, not even important or impressive stuff, but stuff that mm-hmm. represents your coding style and your you know, history of coding. Yeah, but at the same time, and w- with what I said previously stated... I, I will say when I was I, I have gone through certification processes before. I, I went through the Microsoft one and I enjoyed same it. Same here. Same yeah. here. Yeah. Same here. I enjoyed it. But there were definitely people in there who were good at taking tests. And they they were good at studying text. And they could study the text, take the test, but they still didn't have enough comprehension of what they learned to be able to apply it in the real world. And I remember thinking that it was like Okay, this guy got a cert. He still doesn't know what the hell he's doing. You know, yeah. he, he doesn't understand yeah. how to really apply it. And the Microsoft but, cert is notorious for that because it teaches you to spend a billion dollars on a $10 problem. Yeah. Well, and yeah. with the Microsoft one, I found it. I got it when I was doing uh, IT work. So going out to client premises to do work. So the company I worked for at the time wanted me to have that because then they could say, hey, I'm sending an MCSE certified technician out to your place. Right, right. So from their business perspective, it made sense to have a, a certificate. But in a development shop, I don't think that would be the case as much. I carry, I carried my card around me for, for years, man. <laughs> uh-huh. I still got mine in my pocket. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> no. It fell apart a long time ago. I've used it once. Do you know how you use an MCSE card? Break into a locked door. <laughs> you know, it's different in the operations world because there's a lot of SLAs that uh, need to be meet, need to be met. I guess you know uh, you'll see a lot of people who are working in uh, server environments with certifications that say that they are allowed to work in a Halon system. You know that they won't die if if the Halon system goes off, and there's you know it does make a lot of financial sense for a company to get their employees certified in operations because you can actually reduce the cost of your SLAs if you have an on-site person certified to work on whatever hardware or software you've, you've purchased. Um, in, in the PHP world, coding certifications don't really count for much beyond the interview. Mm-hmm. You don't think it, it for... Somebody going for the job, going for a job, you don't you don't think it would get them a little higher pay if that was something that they had? Possibly. I've seen some companies that that require a certification. Yeah, that's bullshit. But that's that's like these companies that require a college education. Yeah. It's like eh. they're just trying to weed people out quickly. But yeah, to actually require that is a, is a little ridiculous. I got a funny story for you guys. What's that? You know, I work from home, and the other day there was a helicopter flying around outside uh, announcing that everyone should stay indoors, lock their doors, uh, do not be a hero, or whatever they were saying. <laughs> I, I, I heard about that. This was just yesterday. Yeah, I, so it turns out that there was 
there were some armed robbers who had uh, who had managed to get loose in our neighborhood, and the police were trying to track them down. And uh, my my kid's school is also very close to our home, so the school was on lockdown as well. Wow, scary! Yeah, it it was scary, and you know the kids, of course, had no idea what was going on. Um, they just thought it was time to lock the doors and watch a movie or something. They didn't really care. Right. Except for one thing. All the kids in school have iPads now. <laughs> and yeah. they're, all, they're all technology literate enough to figure out on Twitter, hashtag Cardiff, hashtag helicopter, and then that links them directly to a news report that says three armed burglars are loose in the neighborhood and being hunted down by the police. <laughs> and so there was a small wave of panic within the locked schools, <laughs> classrooms. So now uh, the school has taken the iPads away and is restricting use until they figure out exactly what they're going to do to try and limit the kids' access to information that probably isn't that helpful for them in emergency situations. They're never going to be able to lock that down. Yeah, and, and for starters, the, the, the fact <laughs> that they're even letting the kids access Twitter on the thing, it, it just shows that they didn't think this through. Well, that's an right? iPad thing, from, too. I mean, I, I've never understood why a school would get an iPad. It's the most unmanageable device of all the available devices. You well, know, they if, have, no, they have some tools in place to manage them. There are there are some tools, but they are not tools that you could really use to lock down a, uh, a system. Uh, well, if they have that. Wi-Fi with, with a router, I'm sure they could put some rules <laughs> no, in place there. you kidding me? The kids would know immediately to pull out their phone and tether it to their iPad. Yeah. Well, they all have phones, so even if they do something with the iPads, yeah. kids with phones, are, they're going to know anyway. Right. Yeah. So they, as far as... So let me ask this question, though. As far as them finding out the reason... I mean, was that really bad? Because I know, I, I remember an incident as a child where we had a similar situation where we were locked down. This was before iPads and cell phones and all that. And rumors ran rampant to, from there was a bear loose in the woods <laughs> to all There are sorts lots of, of bears loose in the woods. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it kind of where like, they're supposed to be. Yeah. It was nuts. So the the panic aspect of it, I don't think goes away. I don't think the technology really contributes no. to the panic aspect of it. No, I think it's just the fact that the, the, the animals were running the zoo. It's such a tough place to be because they need this technology in the schools. This is what's going to help the kids learn. But nobody knows how to implement it correctly. And the ones that do want to charge too much. You know, I mean, especially like these public schools don't have three point four million dollars to implement, you know, a, a tech, you know, a tech stack. But I'll throw an idea out to you guys, which I always felt was maybe a little controversial, but always thought this is really something that needs to be done. Would be for Duct a no, for, <laughs> for for there to be. As a standardized, supported, uh, government-backed implementation of a desktop. Ideally, in, in, in my head, you know, for any software to be, including the OS itself, to be considered part of this program, it needs to be open source and 
accessible to everybody who uses it. Come up with a stack of a desktop, maybe an office suite, a browser that adheres to these policies and just say, okay, here's the distribution that, you know, the government backs um, and start to work with like schools and, and all these other little industries that could start to implement this stuff without having to do a, a bunch of research around it. That's not I a mean, bad I always, idea. Yeah. I, I, and, it I sounds mean, like you're, communism. You're going to have those people that say, I'm not going to put any OS on my system that the government suggests, and that's fine. You don't have to. You know, all the government's doing is saying, "What? maybe it's Red Hat, maybe it's uh, Ubuntu, whatever. Say, hey, here's the OS, uh, here's LibreOffice, here's the antivirus um, software that we consider is good, and use it if you don't. Or use it if you want. Don't use it if you don't want to use it. Just you have this accessible. T- As an American citizen, being on the internet and having a secure uh, computer is becoming a necessity. I mean, we have to have it. And, and the government should be putting programs in place to make it easier for people like my parents who aren't... But tech- is it really the government's role to, to do that? Absolutely. I mean, it's their role to protect me with police. It's their role to help me with the fire department. It's their role to help protect the internet. It, it is, you're, as far as I'm concerned. Well, you're getting into a very, not gray area, but dangerous territory. Because that's, that's what they're trying to say with, with a lot of the restrictions they put in place. I, but I'm not you talking know, about any restrictions. They're, they're, so. They want to take a website offline because they think it's dangerous. And that's that's them trying to do what I'm suggesting the wrong way. It's typi- that, that's typical government. We yeah, go in with you, guns, we shoot everything person, up, and we make people do it our way. And that's not that's not but, what they should be doing. They that's why be, they get the resistance. They're trying to block sites that are putting out information. It's not a dangerous website per se. It's dangerous to the government. But that's it's dangerous. not. Well, it's not. It's not even dangerous. So, so so you you don't even comprehend all that. It's not even dangerous for the government. It's a corporation with a lot of money going to the government saying, take the site down. The government says, okay. You know, hmm. There's no due process. There's no uh, representation of why it's being brought down. There's no ability to, to uh, dispute it. Hmm. The government, and that's what I'm saying. They're doing that wrong. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you want to look at government overreach, then just start with copyright trademark laws. That's It's been... Messed up for fifty years now. Yeah, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse so, uh, was supposed to be in the public domain in nineteen seventy. Right. So all I'm proposing is that the government takes the the opposite approach. It helps it helps the individual safely and securely establish their network. I'm not saying you the government doesn't have any right to go on that network. The government doesn't have any right to censor anything on that. All, all that, all those rules and regulations again fall under the same rules and regulations we have with newspapers and you know what they're allowed to do there. I'm not asking for anything different. You know, it's just I think they're doing it wrong. I think there's a much better way to do it that would make that would continue to make the U.S. a much stronger uh, place for technology, you know, growth of technology. I mean, it irritates me to no end 
how many limitations we put on technology now just because big company comes in and says, no, you know, we can't let it be that easy to sh- distribute videos because it's going to it's going to take money out of our pocket. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, the technology is there. Don't stop the technology because you want to make sure you're making your money. It, now, it, here's here's a question I have for you guys. Yeah. Are you more aware in the last year of the data that your phone is using than you were ever before? What do you mean by that? I, like what I'm using it for, how much I'm using. Data plans used to be free data, unlimited data. I bought unlimited data for years and years and years. Right. And now, for some reason, data is getting more and more expensive, not less expensive. No, exactly. That's exactly what, what I'm is, talking about. What is going on? Right. Uh, how, are the, how are we advancing in our capabilities for streaming media and then walking backwards with our public availability to that streaming media money exactly that's that's big companies putting a throttle on technology i mean i can i can tell you right now the 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 big companies that own the main pipe are still kicking themselves for not putting rate limitations on the land on on cable modems and things like that and they tried to backtrack on that several times yeah uh and and they've been stopped the 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 mobile companies and which are typically arms of the big companies that have the main pipe recognize that very early on and said hold up we're not doing the same thing you know we'll we we will throttle these guys and that's that's one of the reasons why i think they'll they'll continue to squeeze that now, Netflix has a new ISP shaming website. Have you heard of uh, Fast.com? Yes. Fast? Yeah. Fast. Yeah, Fast.com. It's just a, it's a speed checker. If you, if you pull it up right now, it's going to hose our conversation because it's going to try and max out your bandwidth. Okay, ah! st- I, I can see you doing it. Stop I, it. I stopped it. I stopped it. I didn't realize it was going to jump right into it. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It jumps right in, and and the purpose of the website is just to shame ISPs. Uh, th- it's you know making the public aware of bandwidth and the relevance of bandwidth to the quality of your streaming media is a big deal to Netflix because they want the pipe to be free. They want absolute openness, um, whereas the companies providing the pipe want it to be as expensive as possible. That's right. And an informed public is the only way to really find a balance. So, uh, I mean, you can you can bet they spent a million dollars on that domain name, fast.com. It's it's one of the one of the more expensive valuable ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My kids call me a liberal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speaking it's of just cuz they don't know what a socialist is. <laughs> Speaking of kids, I have a question for you too. You both have kids. Oh God! Older yeah. than mine. Yeah. Eric, yours are eighteen, nineteen. Uh, both of them eighteen. 18. Yeah, twin girls. Uh, Thomas, yours, what ten plus? Teenagers. Twelve, twelve and thirteen. Twelve and thirteen. When do and when did they get cell phones? Oh, well, there's an article about this recently about 10-year-olds getting cell phones. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the well, average when, now. When, I don't care about what the article said. What, when, what did you do, Thomas? When did you give your kids cell phones? Or you know, when my, <laughs> when, my son, when my son turned 13, we got him a phone. Um, we actually, I, I got a new phone, gave him my old phone, which was a Galaxy Note 3. Uh, and it lasted five months before he broke it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, replacing a $650 phone isn't easy. <laughs> no. Did you so, have a conversation up front? Like, oh, this, yeah. If this breaks, we're not replacing it. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that you can get some pretty good deals on refurb S3s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things you just got to come to the realization is your kid's not going to have the latest, greatest. You know. He's the one who's got to so, come to that realization. So at 13, <laughs> what, what grade is that? Seventh. Seventh grade. Okay. Yeah. Um, but since he's so close in age with his uh, younger brother and sister, uh, they ended up getting cell phones of their own not much later than that. What grade was that? No, no like months later. Like months after he got I his. Know, but what, what grade are they in? Sixth grade. Well, yeah, when you, one grade. behind them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. You don't. You need to be able to get a hold of your kids. When they get to be around this age, they start getting a little more independent, and you know it's just it's easier to pay that fifteen bucks a month than it is to deal with trying to hunt them down in this like Soviet era block style apartment that I live in. <laughs> all right, so so th- and I assume all that happened within the last year. Yeah. All right. So my daughters are 18. When when they were in the third or fourth grade, I told my wife I was getting them a cell phone to share. And she laid into me for so long about it. And, you know, they're 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 babies, they don't need a cell phone. And I'm like, "No, I'm going to feel better if they have a cell phone." And I ended up getting this Back then, they had these little things, and they probably still have them for kids. They were called crickets, mm-hmm. and they were very sturdy. They could only call like call out on like four or five numbers plus nine one one, and they would only accept calls from certain numbers, which I thought was perfect. As much static as my wife gave me about getting them that cell phone, from the day I got them that cell phone. They were not allowed to leave the house without it. If they did leave the house without it, my wife would make me drive the cell phone to them. I'm like, they'll, they, they would walk to the park right down the street, and she would be like, oh, they forgot their cell phone. I'm like, all right, well, they're just down at the park. Well, just run it to them. I'm like, well, what? They can't leave the house now without it? <laughs> and as they got older, um, so they, 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 they did have a better grasp at, the responsibility of a cell phone and, and everything in detail, that didn't stop them from burning through them pretty quickly. But I've always been very open and honest with them. Um, the rules are very simple. It's my cell phone. I pay for the cell phone. It's on my plan. I always have access to the cell phone. They know this. So I can take the cell phone from them at any time and start going through their stuff. Um, that's just one of the rules. If I'm paying for the cell phone, it's my cell phone. Uh, the other thing is, and again, complete transparency with the kid, kids, 
they have a tracking program on their phone. And so mm-hmm. I know where they're at. And I know when they come home, it alerts me when they come home. And it, it, it's always just kind of been, if you want this, here are the rules. And it's worked out really well with the girls. Um, you know, I can see kids now, if they were to get a cell phone and some of these rules imposed on them, they, they would probably freak out about it. But uh, We use a system called Screen Time, and that uh, works really well. It lets us limit their daily usage of the phone on a per-app basis. Yeah. Uh, you know, lets us control a lot of, a lot of the things. To answer your question, John, I mean, my, my kids are really early on. All in all, it's been a good experience. It's given us a lot of peace of mind. There's been a couple times, even when the kids were young, 10, 11 years old, they went to spend the night over somebody's house, and something happened. They were uncomfortable. They knew, always knew that they had that, their cell phone. They could pick it up and call us, and we could come get them. They mm-hmm. didn't have to inconvenience anybody or feel weird about it. Um so all in all, it's been a positive experience, but laying, I think transparency is cool. Uh, it really helps with it. Laying down the rules and regulations, but making sure that the kid understands every all those rules and regulations. That's interesting. I was actually talking with somebody today. He's got a 12-year-old daughter, and she's going through the whole, but everybody has a cell phone. You yeah. know, I'm the only one that doesn't, and he he and his wife are holding fast to no, you're not getting one. And with during, while talking to her, she admits that when her friends got cell phones, their personalities changed for the worse, mm. and she didn't. So, reflecting on that, she kind of understands, but of course, still wants one. Sure. Um, you, you can also always do what I did, which is convince your kids that you have omnipresent powers. So <laughs> Eric went with the sort of openness, you know, this as an app on your phone that's telling me where, where you're at and stuff like that. Uh, we sort of went the other way with it where we have that stuff secretly installed and we make sure that they're constantly aware of our overbearing powers. So if they're, if they're somewhere, we'll just show up to reiterate, I know you're here. Uh, or whenever whenever one of my boys uh, searches for boobs I'll knock on the door and say you know that's not an appropriate thing to be searching for you're too young and he just they just how does he know this stuff I'm I'm a software expert I I have little birds everywhere watching what you're doing I tell you what, when my kids call me on Hangout and they do a video chat with me, a tear comes to my eye. I'm like, I'm living in the future. (laughs) They had that. They had the the AT&T ads back in the 80s where people were having tearful conversations over their video handphones. Yeah, I remember as a kid, I mean, all, all the sci-fi movies and stuff, it's like, oh yeah, you'll be able to see each other when you talk, and it's like, now we have it, yeah. we're there. Yeah, you, yeah can but- do, you, can do a, you can do a FaceTime phone call on your uh, wristwatch now. You know, we didn't, we didn't realize at the time how stupid it is, <laughs> just staring at your wrist while talking to somebody. That's how I feel about Bluetooth. 
I still Bluetooth still bothers me. It used to be you knew somebody was crazy when they talked to themselves. Now you just don't know. <laughs> no, no, now you now you're a hundred percent sure of it. Whenever I see someone talking on a Bluetooth headset, I I just shake my head. I just go, oh God, they didn't they didn't get the memo in the nineties, and now they're still doing it. Let me ask you this question, and we're running a little long here, so I'll try to make this short. Of your cell phone usage, how much of it is actually voice? Very, like none. <laughs> that's mine. The The yeah. most voice I think I've used in the last couple of months has been like 10 minutes. So I, I'll, I'll use like 8 gigs of, <laughs> of bandwidth, but... So I was, we've been talking about using Ting.com. You know, we've we've discussed the service, cheap internet, and looking through my Sprint bill, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense for me to move. I don't use much of anything. It's more annoying that I have to because everything I do is on Wi-Fi. So mm-hmm. I started doing the numbers, figuring out I could save whatever it was. I contact Sprint, and like, I'm considering leaving. What can we do? So they found a plan that would suit me a little better. Instead of it's it's like the old AOL days. It's like, it's like yeah, I'm gonna leave. Yeah, they convinced me to go to it with a 12 gig plan, which still was cheaper than the plan I was on before. This was a couple years ago, and now I find out oh, there's a three gig plan, which is still more than I use. Yeah, yeah. So it was just crazy that I have to, to threaten to leave. Before they find something that works better. <laughs> That's a good way to save money on anything, though, is just to threaten to leave. Yeah. I saved money on my Cox bill by uh, threatening to leave. And then I, then I left. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think, you know, we suck. We need to drink more heavily before our talks, <laughs> because our last couple of shows have just been too technical. Too sober. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, I think I'm going to call that a show. We still haven't come up with a sign off. No, we haven't. Closing. All right, guys. This has been PHP Ugly, episode 12. I'm John Congdon. I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm Tom Rideout. Goodbye. (laughs) I'm John Congdon. Hey, everybody. I'm John Congdon. What's going on? How are you? I'm John Congdon. I'm John Congdon. I'm Tom Rideout. You've been listening to PHP John Condon. Thank you for listening to the PHP Ugly podcast. PHP Ugly can be found on Twitter at PHP Ugly. You can also follow the host, Tom Rideout, on Twitter at Real Rideout, John Congdon on Twitter at John Congdon, and myself, Eric Van Johnson, on Twitter at Shokum. That's spelled S-H-O-C-M. Notes and links from this episode can be found on GitHub at github.com forward slash phpugly forward slash podcasts.